a very warm welcome to another episode of psychology talks and as promised that this month is all about mental health awareness so we'll be talking about the power of human connection this is one of the very very important uh, aspect in having a mental mental well-being because when humans are feeling the Uh, humans feel connected with each other they feel happy they feel good about themselves about the surrounding and when the connection is uh, broken they feel alienated they feel alone and that adds up to the anxiety and depression so it is very much important to co- stay connected and feel uh, good about ourselves and about the society and in this topic uh, in this episode we will talk about it how we can restore this human connection and not feel alienated and in this regard i invited uh, one of the our esteemed guests today uh, alan stevens he is a renowned mental health activist he has taken major initiatives to create awareness about mental health and uh, to find some solutions about it and in this regard he has received several awards to create uh, mental health awareness uh, on tv and radio in the world press for filing uh, likes of leading uh, politicians like he has worked with several people and one of his major major program is the international like uh, profiling and uh, recently i was on the uh, on the sessions with him and i was amazed the way he accurately greet people so he is one of the person that who has created this profiling system to read people to bring people together and to perform better in their lives in their like personal or professional lives he is an amazon number 1 best selling author a coach a trainer and he's been referred to as leading authority on reading people globally by the UK Guardian and mentalist uh means Dr Phil by the Herald Alan help people to make sense of their lives and their relationship helping them enhance their relationships through meaningful connection so let's welcome Alan hello Alan thank you so much for joining us today No, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, thank it's, it's an honor to have you. Like the kind of work you've been doing to create mental health awareness and your work in the profiling system is amazing. It's so impressive. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's basically so um, uh, let's welcome to all our audience today and thank you so much for uh, joining us today so you can tell us that where are you from and you can ask any question in between so we can uh, answer you and let's say that who is saying hi jyoti has joined so be uh, sabuti sorry if i'm pronouncing wrong <laughs> uh, your name so maybe you can say sebu 
Adu is saying good morning. Mohammed Ibrahim, Zulfikar Ali, Michelle is hi, Michelle. He's also a good a follower on LinkedIn. Sayyid Musa Raza and Muneeb uh, has joined so far. So keep your um, comments coming in in the chat. We'll be uh, looking. Uh, on your comments and if you have any questions we can also answer. Sana Hussain is also saying hi. So let's move to our discussion so before we get into the real discussion. Just tell us a little bit more about yourself, about your activities and how you got into this, uh, um, like how, why you started to create mental health awareness, how you get into profiling what challenges you faced during your journey so our audience can get you know you better. Fine. Yeah, well, like everybody, um, we always gravitate to areas that we need to, uh, in ourselves that we need. And what I found was through growing up without my father, he died when I was three, I was in a situation where I was uh, living with my mother and sister but didn't have any male role models around me. That led on to uh, when I first got my first job and did my training. I moved from where I lived in Sydney to north of Sydney to a place called Newcastle and was put in charge of men who were all older than me. My second in charge was 38 and I was 23. So I had to get them on side as well. So I started back in those days looking at body language to understand you know, a bit more about the staff that I had and how I could better connect with them. In the uh, 1980s, I joined the surf club and became a surf lifesaver. And they talked me into being a patrol captain where they put me in charge of a group of uh, uh, men that nobody else wanted in their patrols. That was why they gave me the job. I was a dumping ground, but we turned that into the patrol of the year. And so the following year, I became the club captain and over the next two years became his own supervisor in charge of the lifesavers for three beaches. In that I was now the same age as most of the others on the committee, but as they pointed out to me, they'd been there since they were young, uh, young boys and young girls. So I had to uh, learn a lot very quickly, but I'm in charge of them with less experience and telling them what to do. And then in my uh, uh, late 30s, my first, first wife decided that she wanted to uh, leave and I had three boys to raise on my own. <clears throat> they were 4, 11 and uh, 12 years old at the time. So now I had to get to understand them as well. So it had been an accumulation of events that happened where I was the youngest in charge of people, the least experienced. And then, as I would say, out of my depth, raising three boys on my own. And it gave me a lot of uh, respect for single mothers who were doing the same thing. And so from there, I realised that I needed to learn more skills. And then I was working with a company that taught uh, currency trading and none of these students made any money. That's why they got me to come in to work out why they um, uh, seemed to be fine when they started their training, but when they put money on the table after they finished their training, they were going, um, going broke. And so I used to use psychometric profiling where we'd ask people questions. And at that point, I realised I needed a better way of reading people. And so uh, through some uh, chance meetings and somebody just mentioned to me one day, have you ever uh, looked at reading faces? And so I went from using psychometric profiling to uh, looking at faces and reading person, people's personality through their facial features and at the same time picking up their body language and the little twitches on the face, the things that we call micro-expressions, to give away your, um, your emotions. 
put it all together, you've got someone's uh, character pretty quickly as well. But just very quickly on the facial features, which is the most powerful tool of the lot, it tells me your personality, not your character. It doesn't tell me what you're thinking, but it tells me how you think. And that's from the facial features. And if you think you lift weights, you build muscles in your body. At the same time, you'll find that everything we feel inside, we express outwardly through our expressions and our body language. Put that together. And the facial features that you have on your face, those ridges and crevices you develop over time, give away your personality. Facial structure to start with as a child, the stuff that's passed down from your parents, the nature, that's the uh, first part of the profile. But then we develop traits, which we call nurture traits, in response to our environment. And so that's basically what I do is brought all those tools together to create a profiling system. But the reason I did it was because, as I said, my history, I was shocking at reading people. So I needed to learn the skills for myself. And that's why I got into profiling. Yeah, that's uh, really brilliant. Actually, I think all of us have this curiosity to understand people around us and their, I mean, how they behave, the way they behave, and most importantly, why they behave the way they behave. Because, you know, we try to understand each other, and most importantly, we also try to understand ourselves. So I think what, like, the, the, the tool that you created is very important to understand each other and then that helps us to perform better in our lives and develop better relationships and i think that is what is needed at this time because um, the what i see is like the people are suffering uh, mainly because uh, of these uh, disconnect between themselves and between uh, the relationship they are having because most of the time I feel that the relationship breaks or goes in a wrong way because of the misunderstanding, right? Like That's people right. might have different intentions, but the like I perceive it differently or the other perceive it differently, and that creates the dissonance. So uh, that is, I think, the main reason that you know people mm. are more interested, and that is definitely. Mm. Is very, very yeah. critical to understand each other. That's it. So See, when we yeah. when we read people or we're trying to build relationships with people, we forget what they're really feeling. We're coming from where we are. And that's one of the reasons why, even though we want to understand the other person, quite often we don't get there. We're actually judging them on how we're feeling. Yes. And that's why I felt the profiling was extremely important. To be able to understand the other person as they truly are and then be able to change the way that we like to be spoken to to match the way that they want to be spoken to and need to be spoken to and treated so that we can then create stronger relationships with them. It's, you know, I think because, well, like, there's four things I always say in profiling that everybody is suffering or is um, insecure. Everybody wears a mask. Everybody pretends they're not wearing a mask. And everybody is a, a combination of all of their childhood experiences, the good and the bad. And so with that, we're feeling all that all the time. And so people want to feel that they are right when they're talking to other people. One of the things I learned along the way was I don't have to be right, but I do have to understand. If I can understand another person by putting my stuff aside for that moment and talk to them in the way that they need to be spoken to, they will always open up and tell me more. And then we have a more respectful and a more positive uh, relationship. Yeah. 
yeah very true so like now moving on to our discussion about the mental health you know like mm-hmm. basically so how in your opinion is important to have that connection between people that helps uh, people to have more or better mental well-being you know if you're if you don't have a better connection with people, well, the first connection you've got to have is with yourself Yes. This is the thing. Most people are beating themselves up because they, and social media hasn't been a great help because there's so many people out telling about, they're telling everybody how good they are. But I guarantee every one of them are wearing a mask. Yeah. And once you, but most people can't see through that mask. All they can see is what's presented to them. And they start to worry about, am I good enough? Yeah. Well, regardless of who's listening to this today, I would say to everybody who's listening, you are good enough. And I've got a saying that I always say to people, if you don't think you're good enough, get over it. If you think you're too good, then get over yourself. And so, you know, and this is the thing, if you're able to realise that you, if you're doing the best that you possibly can do, you can't be judged for not doing better because you, nobody makes a bad decision. They make decisions with the information that they have. So if everybody is trying to be the best version of themselves, be happy with yourself in that. Take the pressure off yourself. Don't keep beating yourself up because you're not as good as what somebody else is projecting themselves to be. Because I guarantee behind closed doors, they're not that good. And they're probably feeling just as insecure as uh, as you are. Yeah, yeah. I think that is, I think it's the major uh, mistake that people do is basically projecting their own fears over themselves and thinking that they are uh, and thinking the other person is strong or something because most of the time what I feel is that when people are coming to the relationship what happens is they have as you said that everybody wears a mask everybody wants to present, uh, project the best self of themselves and at the same time they have their insecurities they have their fears so what they do is that they actually project their fear onto themselves and then they try to avoid those fears but the thing is that these are the things that that happening in the you know at the unconscious level where as you mentioned that when we become aware of ourselves then we realize that okay that's like we have this fear we are not supposed to project this fear or the insecurity over to other and then have a smooth relationship so i think that is one thing and and, and that's why what happens what i feel is that you know that then these insecurity creates a disconnect and then creates a state of aloofness in human mind. So the, the people who uh, break, uh, like who suffer from the like, you know, relationship loss or something, so they feel more alienated, more alone, not because the people, the other people are wrong or something. It's all because, you know, they have to first uh, become aware of themselves and then correct themselves rather than, you know, trying to uh, work on the relationship, right? Yeah, see, I always say to people and that you can only be one person and the only person you can be is yourself. But we're yeah. spending too much time trying to be something else for other people. And I went through that myself, as I said, two divorces and I've had a lot of relationships as well. And I was always trying to be somebody for somebody else for, for the other person and realizing that wasn't good enough. What I should have been doing was the best thing I could have been was just me. Because at the end of the day, if we are just ourselves, 
we will attract the people who like that instead of trying to be somebody else and trying to look at uh, be um, there for other people who don't like us in the first place. Yeah. So we can't win if we're trying to be there for somebody else. We need to be there for ourselves. Mm -hmm. now, I have conversation after conversation with people where they, they sit down and they tell me their life stories, what they've been through. And they're all once wondering whether I'm going to judge them. There hasn't been one person out of, you know, in the last four years, it's been well over 300 people I've spoken to. Mm -hmm. And they've told me their life stories. And not once has there been a story that I would, thought wasn't worth uh, hearing. Everybody has a story. Everybody is unique. And so your stories you have are unique. They're your stories. Yeah. And be able to have somebody sit and listen to those is a, is a gift. And the person who allows, who gives that space to them, they're the ones receiving the gift. It's a two-way street. So once we realise we don't have to be there for it, be a certain way for other people, we just have to be ourselves, that is the biggest gift we can give other people not trying to put on a mask and being somebody else altogether. That then takes the pressure off us. And once we take the pressure off us, we can start to be happier because you're going to be around all those people trying to be somebody else and be totally alone and unhappy yeah. because you're not being you. Yeah, that, that's brilliant advice, actually. I think, you know, we should always learn to be happy with ourselves. And once we do that, we are much more at ease uh, and you know that's that's the mental peace and that that brings in the harmony with ourselves and in our all relationship here's what, like we have a question from Sina uh, he's a good friend what factor define mental health I must add for a person like me living in Middle East it's quite different with a person who lives in Swiss for example but again what are the factors we should learn or develop to help ourselves so one, of the things, one of the things I always say to people is that we are all on the mental health scale. It just depends on which end of it on we're, we're on today. Because if we're having a great day, we're going to be at the, the happy end of it. We're going to feel good in ourselves and therefore we're not going to feel negative things. If we have a bad day, we start to slide the other way. There are a whole lot of different uh, factors that define it. You know, the trouble is that we're trying to give labels to everything and that's where we're going wrong. We're labeling everything and then we got everything labeled, then we have to label it further again. And it's like, I don't understand why we're doing this because it's putting more pressure onto people. We're putting people into boxes and then putting them in on the shelf in that case and we're isolating them. Once we start to realize that mental health affects every last person on the planet, directly or indirectly and if it's indirectly because of somebody else around us that is still affecting us directly and yeah. so once we realize that instead of trying to define the the things knowing that at one end life is really feeling bad we feel like we're totally lost that we've got nobody around us the other end we're talking about you know we're happy we've got the right people around us and we're happy when we're on our own as well as when we're with other people yeah, so I, I think uh, yeah, I think it answers uh, Zina's question. Uh, let us know if it gets the uh, answer. We also get another question from Krista. She is also one of our very good friends of mine. Any advice for people close relationship with those who struggle with mental illness? I've had this issue my whole life since my mom is sick and my parent is bipolar. 
it is exhausting. So what would you suggest that how we can deal with this? Well, one of the things is anytime somebody is uh, emotional, they're reacting out, we feel uncomfortable. And next thing you know, we're reacting to that because we don't want them to, you know, emotional empathy can be a little bit of a problem. So we have three levels of empathy. The first one is cognitive. I can see you're in trouble. You know, you know a torturer needs that. Otherwise, they won't get their jollies when they're bullying somebody or torturing them. The emotional empathy is where we feel the other person's pain. But the trouble then is that if we spend our time in that, we get uncomfortable because we don't want to feel the pain ourselves. And this is then when the, the um, compassionate empathy comes in where we try and fix the issue. The thing is, though, we need to experience the emotional empathy to understand the other person, but realise that not to take that stuff on ourselves. We can't help somebody else when we're feeling depressed ourselves because of the energy that they've been putting out. The thing is to seek to understand somebody. The more we can understand how they like to think and process, we can then talk to them in the way that they need to be spoken to and the response changes. Uh, I've profiled a lot of children with um, Asperger's and autism uh, uh, and their parents have said, well, we've medicated them, we've tried to communicate, nothing's working. And I go, right, well, let's look at the child's personality traits and what we need you to do is to then change the way you like to be spoken to to match the way they need to be spoken to. All of a sudden, the child then starts to realise that the parent is understanding them and they feel more comfortable because a lot of it is frustration. Yeah. So by setting the environment up for the other person, so finding out what makes them feel comfortable, how they feel happier about things, and then we can know, you'll find that their behaviour will change. Yeah. Come, there's more understanding in there. But the first thing is, I know a lot of people say, oh, I've got to be uh, selfless when I'm working around them. No, I always say to people, first of all, you need to be selfish so you can be selfless. In other words, you've got to look after yourself first. Yeah. You know, if you're getting stressed because you've got you've been caregiving to somebody, you need to take a respite. You need to get come out of it. You need to be able to get your energies back up. Then go back and talk to them in the way that they need to be spoken to. And then when you're able to do that, when you're at your peak energy, then you'll be able to make a connection with them. So the things that were pushing your buttons before aren't pushing your buttons now. Because quite often it's frustration when you're trying to help the other person and we're doing it and communicating in a way that doesn't connect with them. And so they don't get better and we get frustrated because we're doing everything we possibly can. And we are with the information we have. But when we have a little bit more information, understanding how to talk to them in the way they need to be spoken to, then we can change things. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And I would add that, you know, like we need to change the perception of the person also because what happened is like we try to understand, we try to treat the, uh, the patient or the person like who is suffering from the mental health as a normal person. We should never ever actually uh, treat the that person as a normal person like for example i wouldn't say the normal person i would say that like you know they are different they have different needs so like we should expect different for example if someone is let's say a bipolar or is having a depression for example um that's how i actually deal with uh, the person who are facing depression or something so like you know you may have to 
put more effort to it and expect different results from the uh, the person for example if i know that uh, my friend or someone like if i'm helping someone they are depressed and I try to make them out from their world. So I have to make an effort. I will send like at least five to 10 messages to actually get one response. Whereas, and I should not have the expectation that when I send the one response and that person is not replying, there's something wrong with this. So hmm. it's basically managing our own expectation from that person. And we need to realize that it's it has to be different. It wouldn't be the same. And, and that is the main, a uh, problem that I feel that is um, a majority of the people are facing. Uh, even I like work with a lot of people who are who um, the parents that who have kids with autism or something. So you know, like when their children go to anywhere else, the other people need to realize that okay, that child is different. It has that uh, that child have uh, has different um, needs, different. So they need to expect differently it's basically us uh, as you mentioned earlier also we need to realize ourselves first like what to expect we need to manage our expectation we need to see that you know if the person is not uh, uh, is, uh, we need to actually i would just say that i would rephrase that we need to not label the person like you know okay this person is bad because he's not responding it's not like yeah, that yeah. To one uh, we need to understand from their perspective if the person is depressed if the person is having any other thing so he will never respond to the way that we want or we expect from the different person so that's very important to realize that we are dealing with someone who is having a mental uh, health issue we need to approach differently and we need to manage our expectations uh, better and we need to practice empathy try to understand from their perspective not from our perspective so i hope it, it, it well, with, the, with the comment you just got there with uh, crystal on the screen at the moment who cares for the carer well the carer yeah. needs to care for themselves but they also in doing that having the right people around you as well who can support you you don't have to do it on your own this is where i said you need to be selfish to look after the other person properly. You need to have time out. You need to be able to talk to people who can then support you. If they can then support you and have conversations, and I don't mean that you go and tell them what's going on and they give you advice. One of the yes. biggest problems we have today is that these, the um, stats are showing that when somebody talks about an issue that they've got, it's only 19 seconds as they start to explain it before someone jumps in and gives them advice. There is no way in the world you can get enough information that 19 seconds. I sit and listen to people for the best part of an hour in some cases. And in that, then I understand where they're coming from. But I would never be just so disrespectful to the other person to give an answer or to jump in and give advice, especially when it hasn't been asked for. I recognise where the person needs to vent. If they need to vent, then, hey, if I care about them, I will just sit and listen. And I know it's got nothing to do with me. I know that... Once they get that out, it'll be different. I had an example. I had a, a gentleman and I were traveling to a, um, an event. And on the way, he was, uh, in all, of all things, he was a negotiator. But he was talking about, he was running this new event that we're going to put together. And we're talking about the planning of it as we're going to another event. And he said, look, one of the other uh, presenters 
was uh, giving him some problems. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he went off in a tirade and angry and everything else. Anyway, um, as I was driving along, I, once he finished, I said, can I ask you another question? And he said, what's that? I asked him exactly the same question as I asked him in the first place because I realised he just needed to, go, need to get it off his chest. If I had jumped in with advice and telling him what to do, it would have gone down the spout. It, would have been, it just wouldn't have worked. But because I gave him that space to vent and didn't take any of it on because I knew it had nothing to do with me, and if I, I can allow somebody to be right into their emotions and not take it on. And in that, he then gave uh, a solution to what he was going to do, and he just laid this plan out that covered every point. And he just looked at me and he said, and I'm the negotiator, he said to himself, <laughs> and I'm going, well, I'm the listener. I didn't yeah. need to negotiate. I just needed to listen, recognise where you were coming from, not judge you, but allow you that space so that you could come up with your own solutions, which he did. Then at that point, that if you do that, if you're a carer and you do that for yourself, then the end result is you're in a better state when you go back and talk to the, the people you're caring for. Now, the more that you understand them, and this is where I've uh, had a mother with a, a young boy, this is about 11 years ago. He was six years old at the time with Asperger's. The uh, school didn't want him. The after-schools care didn't want him. The, the teachers were saying if they're going to keep him, he needed to have more medication. Well, I profiled him from his photographs and gave the mother the report. She took the report to the school and the after-schools care, told each of them, that the others were doing it. And if they didn't do it, like she told the teachers, the aftercare is doing this and the aftercare, she said, the teachers are doing this. And if you don't do it, it won't work. It'll fail and it'll be on your heads. You'll be responsible. The teachers and the after schools care did not want to be held responsible. So they put it in place where they said at the age of six, he would never do uh, presentations in front of the class. He would never amount to anything. He was actually uh, doing presentations in front of the class at the age of seven. At the age of um, another year and a half later, they had actually reduced his medication with the doctor's approval and they didn't need the psychologist anymore. Now he's improved in the relationship he's got with his mother. He's actually an entrepreneur now. At the age of 17, he's doing things that most other kids aren't, uh, weren't doing. And this is the boy that they said would never be as good as the other people. And I say, it's good, uh, you've got Adam Duval there. G'day Adam in the background. <laughs> an old mate of mine yeah adam is like it's uh, this he has uh uh it's the own struggle of the mental and it's a very good uh, uh comment and some of the time i still do this is uh, what makes human but what i've done is i woke up and said to myself i'm making a lifestyle change and this is what i've now done and now having this i mean uh, yeah, I think you, we just need to uh, make that change in ourselves and then realize that you know, can do it. That's, it. That's, that's how it is. And like you said brilliantly that, you know, it's uh, we, we just need to come out from all these uh, uh, the, the state of like negotiation or something and try to mm. listen to the other person. And that's when it happens, like, you know, as even Kasta was asking that, you know, like adults don't share the problems. And this is the thing is that they will not share, but we need to lend them ears to actually listen to the problem. And once we start listening uh, without judgment, then they will open up. And then we realize that, you know, okay, that 
this is the problem that they've been doing. That, that's the problem. That's why they are uh, behaving that way. So the only thing is, again, like we need to be kind to the people, listen to them, and with open mind, without judging anything. Yeah, so, so be kind to yourself as you do it as well. Yeah, be kind absolutely. Be kind to ourselves. First is, the first step is like be kind to ourselves. I think everything is start from within. So even if you want to help people, we need to help ourselves first. Because mm. I think if we have our own biases, if we have our own securities, we will always stumble on those insecurities, mm. all those fears, all everything. So before I would say that the first step is like work on yourself and then work on others. That's the basic That's thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And don't be tough on yourself when you're working on yourself as well. And remember that the only person that you can fix is yourself. See, I'm, I was a carpenter. I can build things. I was working on my car. I could fix my car. I can fix bookshelves. I can fix all things around me, but I cannot fix somebody else. But what I can do is pay them the greatest respect of actually listening to them. Now, I always say to people, you've got two eyes, two ears and one mouth and you use them in that proportion. And when you are using your mouth, it's to ask questions. And you ask every possible question you can think of when you're asked to talk to the person and you listen to what they say and what they say, then you ask questions on that. You ask every possible question you can come up with. And once you've done that, then you ask one more question. And that is from what you've been telling me, this is what I'm understanding. Have I got you right? Have I understood you properly? Now you're into a conversation. If you've got it right, then they know that you've been listening and they're thankful for that. You'll see a shift in their energy straight away. If, on the other hand, you didn't get it right, they know that you've been so interested, you're asking. So now they're able to explain to you, you're having a conversation. And as soon as people have conversations, the energy levels change. People feel that they're not alone. And that's where most of their mental health issues are coming from. They're going, well, I've got this problem that I can't really share with anybody else because I'm embarrassed about it or whatever it might be. Or... Nobody else is going to understand. They're going to think I'm an idiot. Well, this is the biggest problem. This is the mental health that we have quite often is the mental health we put onto ourselves. Okay. Real thinking that the everybody else expects something much more than what we're able to deliver. The thing is, most of them are going through exactly the same thing. As yes. I said, everybody's wearing a mask. That's that's very true, and I think, and and that is the main reason that I've been trying to help people on the mental health issues, and I'm like trying to share the content on LinkedIn, on the other social media. That you know, once um, we all face uh, problems in life, we all face depression, we all face all these like feel the emotions. It's like sometimes we are afraid to show them, and and that's what exactly what. I'm doing at least that, you know, uh, to create mm. mental health awareness that I'm sharing my own emotions. I'm sharing my own weaknesses. And once you mm. share your story, it gives the other person to a permission to feel the same. And they, and they feel that they are not alone. I yes, think the yes. main dilemma of the mental health issues, like because everybody is suffering in the silos, they think mm. that their misery is only them, with themselves and they can, and nobody can help them. It's not like that. It is like everybody is on the same boat, feeling the same thing. It's okay. You just need to come up and show. And you need the only thing is that 
you need to seek out the help. You need because there are a lot of people there to help you hmm. out. That's yeah, what and there's some ways to do that. When you, the thing is that uh, we that's what we've been talking about is somebody who's aware who is going to help others who are going through mental health uh, pressures or emotions, depression, anxiety. We have a we understand how we can help them. But if you've got somebody who, you know, if you're depressed and you go, who can I talk to? And you go, what are they going to think about me? Well, you can start by asking questions as well. Ask the person, do they really care for you? Do they, would they like to help you? That there's something on your mind that they, you would like to discuss. But, and also point out to them if you want answers or you don't want answers. Now, yeah. I will ask somebody, if somebody is being very emotional, I will have one question for them. It's a two-part question. And that will be, do you, do you want me to fix whatever it is that's on your mind or you want, do you want me to listen? Now, if that's with a partner and they say, I want you to fix it, it could be one or two things. It could be that they just know that this is something you can fix, you have the ability to do that, or you, you're stuffed up in the first place. You're the one who's responsible for that and they want it fixed. But as far as the other side of it goes, if they say, no, I just want you to listen, then you know that they don't want to fix. You don't have to put that pressure on yourself to come up with an answer because quite often when people think they have to fix somebody else's issue, they're not listening to what's being said. Now you can just yeah. sit back, listen, and the person knows that your eyes, your ears are totally focused on them and they can then start to talk about it and you know that they said you, they, don't, they don't want you to fix it and then at the end of it you can go, is there anything I can uh, do for you? And at that yeah. point, they go, most of the time, they go, that's all I needed. And a lot of times, that the person may have been suicidal, but doing that, now, now they're not. They're thinking, somebody does care. Because quite often when people are going through mental health issues, they feel that they're alone. Yeah. But I always say to people, when you call out for help, do it carefully in the way that you do it, that it doesn't uh, come across that all you're doing is putting it out there to look for sympathy. Put it out there so that you can get the support that you need. Just be aware that, well, most people I talk to, most people want to help their friends and the people, the ones they love around them. Yes. They even help strangers. There's so many people running charities at the moment who go out and help people that they don't know anything about. That just shows that, you know, we are um, tribal creatures. We are, you know, it doesn't about, matter about your gender, your culture, your religion or anything else. You know, when you see somebody, you don't know of anything, any of the background. And if they're in trouble, we want to help them. It's a natural thing because we want to be helped as well. But always remember, it's not so much treating other people as, uh, they, as I would have them treat me. I always look from the point, I will treat other people as they would have me treat them. So the more I can understand them, then the more I can treat them in the way that they need to be treated so that they can then feel good about themselves and uh, we can have a stronger relationship. It's tuning my transmitter into their receiver. I have to listen, I have to understand them before I start talking to them because otherwise I might as well be taking, uh, speaking another language altogether. Yeah, I think that's, that is the basic thing, that we need to understand them first before uh, forming any like uh, opinion about them or, or or helping them out, because what happened is sometimes that we actually take the other person from our perceptions, like you know, okay, that they must be having this problem because of this, and it's not this. 
the the true thing because they might be suffering because of something of their own self so the first thing is try to understand that, that what is the problem that causing them and and that the basic thing is listening or oh, listening without our preconceived biases that is very very important and, and but and the thing is that it takes time to also uh, practice this because as humans are we always see things from our past experience like you know if we see uh, someone doing something so we see that okay maybe this person is doing this because of the that particular reason which is not basically his reality that the we making connection based on our past experience so that's it that we need to actually come out from our biases and then build an empathy try to understand them and that is the only way we can help i think kirsta is asking another question so let's see <laughs> what if you don't want to listen empathy is one thing but there's fine line uh, with enabling victim behavior and codependency if you're close to a person who's always negative complaining or excuses excuse making then it can be very heavy heavy for uh, those close uh, sorry i cannot see the full one so i can close i prefer to call them out in and if it seems like depression to refer them as ther- to a therapist yes i think uh, it's okay uh, i think she actually replied to uh, a reply herself that if you think that you can't tell the person it's better to actually seek professional help that's it see empathy you got to be really aware of what the empathy is empathy is helping the person to get to a solution just listening just with emotional empathy they always say that um, a problem shared with a problem halved is a problem halved that's totally incorrect a problem shared is is a problem uh, not acted upon not acted upon is a problem magnified a problem mm-hmm. shared but then acted on is a problem halved and actually reduced and in a lot of cases dissipated completely this is one of the reasons i challenge people when they um, make comments you know, social media and other places. And I go, okay, why did you make that comment? What were you actually looking for? If you were looking for uh, empathy from people who don't understand, that empathy is empty. Yes. But if you've got somebody who understands you, and you know, I've got family members and uh, people close to me, and if I know that they're, they just want a pity party, I'm not going to join their party. I'm sorry. I'm not interested in pitying you. I want to empathize with you. I don't want to sympathize with you because sympathy is saying that somebody's not as good as as you. But empathy is saying somebody who's equal to you. It's a yeah. different thing. And as I said it's not just emotional empathy, but going to the next level. First of all, I've got to acknowledge the emotional empathy. I've got to show that I fully understand it. I I I appreciate what they're feeling. I I validate that they can feel the way they feel. But then I go right out. Now let's what are we going to do? How are we going to say uh, change this? Yeah. Now I realized um, many years ago when I first started looking at doing this work, I was a lifeline counselor and on one night I had three people who were uh, talking about suicide. Oops. Now one of them, the uh, the woman rang me and it was a, an ex-boyfriend she'd seen, he was stalking her and you know she was talking about and I knew even though she wasn't saying it 
she was looking for sympathy. She was talking about uh, committing suicide. And I said, hang on. And uh, she said she was going to go and uh, go down to the shops and get some cigarettes. And then she was coming back. When she did that, she came back, got on the phone again, and she started talking the same way. And I said, hang on. First of all, I'm here to listen to you. But remember, I'm the only person on the phones tonight. And there's probably around about an 800 kilometer stretch of coastline. I'm the only person looking after all the calls. You're not talking to me properly. I got her so angry, she wanted to kill me. Now she oh. can't kill me because I'm on the end of the phone. She doesn't even know where I am. But she's got so angry with me. She called me names, hung up the phone. Now I knew that she would not go and commit suicide at that point because she was so angry with me, the focus was off her and on me. Well, yeah. she rang back a bit later on and she said, I gotta tell you, I love you for what you did. I said, I know why you did it. It changed my state. And then she laid out a plan of, a, of action of what she was going to do. And then as she hung up, she said, oh, by the way, you're still up. And she used the same language she did before with a laugh in her voice and hung up. And so I knew that she had changed the energy that she had. And so her, her thinking is now different. So there are times when you call somebody out, but if it's been somebody else, like one of the other calls, no, I couldn't do that with them. I had to empathize with them, but they weren't just calling out to, uh, looking for someone to support him in that moment and then come back and ring him again the next week. There are some people who ring weekly with the yeah. same story and have been doing it for years. Yes. So back then we had then become uh, what we call it an accomplice to what they're holding on to. So there are times to call them out, but there are times in that to do it the other way, to be empathetic and everything else. But the gift is in understanding. If a person, or if you're a close carer, and the person is always complaining, going into the sympathy mode, wanting sympathy, and then acting like a victim, never wants to move forward, then you have to call them out on it. Because to call them out, but doing it the right way, being careful with it, is actually the most compassionate, loving thing you can do for them. Just joining their pity party, thats that doesn't help them one little bit. Yeah. But if they really want you to listen so they can express themselves, then yeah, I'm happy to be there. But if they come back and they want to do the same thing over and over, no, I'm not going to do that. I would say, right, we did it before, we did it again, I'm not doing it a third time. Yeah, tell me, with what you've gone through, we've discussed this before, what, have you, what are you going to do? What positive uh, plan of action are you going to have? How can you turn that situation around? Yeah. So if we're raising children, for instance, our job, we're not uh, sculptors and we're not carpenters. Our job is not to turn our kids into something. Our job is to guide them. We're gardeners. Our job is to help them to uh, and uh, look after them so that they become the best versions of themselves. So we're always trying to teach our children how to fish, not how to not giving them a fish all the time. We don't want to develop them so they can look after themselves as they get older. It should be the same with our friends yeah. and the people who are caring for do the same thing, figure out, okay, am I just a support? Am I just taking on that role where they're keeping themselves in a prison and I'm just going to keep assisting and keep passing them through the food through the bar, so to speak, or am I gonna teach them how to unlock that prison door themselves? Yeah, what a brilliant actually advice from you. I think this is the important thing, most important thing that's like, you know, uh, the, most of the time what happens is that people are stuck in their own <clears throat> vicious cycle of thinking 
they actually love to play the role of victim because that gives them the excuse to take away the responsibility of their own self so what happens is like when people are suffering they they want to actually get away from the responsibility that they own so they play the role of victim they keep on like they 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 are stuck in the vicious uh, cycle of you know the thinking that they they think that oh my god this is happening and we are the ones who are the victim of this and and then when they share it with the other person and then that person if magnifies it as you said that you know if the person is sympathizing and is just say oh my god that that is so bad happened to you so that person is not helping them get out of mm. their own self imposed sort of limitation in their brains and you know this the uh, this their uh, the sort of i would say the the prisons or uh, that is that they made in their mind they will never come out from this so i think seeking the right help is again crucial to deal with the mental health it is so if i've got somebody who is angry for instance if i just say to them oh it's okay it's okay is it any wonder they want to take my head off which is natural because i've told them it's not okay to be angry so I always respond by raising my voice and everything else to show them that I can get angry as well. But then I change the conversation. I change the way I talk. I change the way I'm breathing. I slow it down. I change my language. I said, right, I've met you at your anger, but I'm not going to stay there. Why don't you come down here where I am? Yeah. So it's always a case of being able to validate the other person. If somebody's depressed, whatever they're feeling, I validate it. Now, I've had uh, friends who, um, you know, on the phone, they would then whinge and carry on about things. And I'd say... Right, yeah, look, next time you ring up, I want to hear the positive. So, oh, yes, I'll hear what you're going through, but you have to tell me what positive things you've been thinking about and let's have a chat about those and see if we can, you know, make yeah. them even better again. And I go, but if you just come back and you, you whinge or you're angry or anything else, I'm just going to hang up. I will call you back five minutes later. So I let yeah. them know that I'm not just shutting them out. I'm telling them, no, I will not take that from them, but I'll hang the phone. I'll, I'll give you a call five minutes later. They do that, I ring them back, and they may go off on the phone. I go, hang up again, call them back five minutes later. And they learn that you can't talk that way. If you want me to be there for you, you have to also respect me as well. I will yeah. listen to your stories. We will then work on a, a plan of a, attack on how you can work it through. I won't tell you what to do. I will ask you so many questions that you'll be able to realize what works for you. Therefore, yeah. you own it and you can do something with it. But I will not argue with somebody i will not keep if the behavior is wrong i just won't tolerate it yeah and that's I what i would do i've done that with my uh, mother when she was alive when i was much younger mm -hmm. she used to ring me and i'd hear all this and i go i'll call you back in five minutes when you've settled down clunk i pick the phone up she go off again i go hmm okay you're still like still feeling that i'll give you a call back in five minutes clunk <laughs> and yeah. after a while she realized that hey if you're going to talk to me, then the only way that was going to, and that was how I could then show her my respect for her as well. It wasn't that I was disrespecting her, but I was respecting our relationship. So it was, and it was also having me respected as well, because you can't help somebody if they don't respect you. Yeah, you have to build that relationship with them, which means you have the right to tell somebody who's not doing the right thing, hey, you need to change from that. If you're talking to me, you need to talk in a certain way. Yeah, very true. I mean, that's brilliant. 
um, I know that we can keep on talking about it and having a discussion, a lot of comments like coming in, uh, but I'm afraid like <laughs> the, the time is running out and we already like exceeded the time, but um, so uh, maybe we can arrange some other session or something. So uh, like, yeah, what last advice would you like to give to our audience today before we close the session? <laughs> Okay, well, just remember that um, uh, what you do for yourself dies with you, but what you do for others and for the community isn't always will be eternal. So it's the connections or relationships that we have. But always make sure that uh, you're being respected in that uh, relationship. But there's a lot of groups out there. I run the Campfire Project, which anybody can come along and join. They can tell their stories. And in that, the beautiful part of it is I've got all genders, all cultures, all nationalities. I don't mind what, what uh, any of those are. The only thing is anyone comes in, they've got to be respectful to people. If they're disrespectful, they're out in a flash. Uh, and people go, but that's a bit rough. And I go, well, if you're telling your story and you want people to respect you, and they go, oh, okay, I get it. And I've sat there and, you know, as I said, we've had over 300 one-on-ones and we've had panel discussions where we get the opportunity for those who have told their one-on-one -on -one stories to be able to join those panels and share what they're feeling. So now they're discussing things as well. And as I said, no bigotry, no sexism and no racism in over 500 hours of uh, conversations and not once has anybody been disrespectful to anybody else. So it can be done when you set the environment right. So if you're caring for somebody, word of advice, set the environment up, let the person know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable you want to, if you're going to help them, they need to know that they need to respect you or otherwise you can't help them in, in their, um, their journey. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and advice. And uh, we had a wonderful uh, discussion and session here today. Uh, before we close the session, also let our audience know that how they can reach out to you, um, your website or email, maybe like you can share in the chat and then I can uh, put it here. Uh, mm -hmm. let's see, I think um, so they can well, reach out to you. Um, yeah. The website's extremely easy. As you can see, my name on the screen there, alanstevens.com and .au okay. for Australia, but also the campfireproject.com.au. Okay. You'll find the other uh, campfire project. So alanstevens.com.au is my uh, business website. The campfireproject.com.au is the, um, uh, the campfire project uh, page. Okay. Okay. I will also share, uh, I, I'll share it in the link uh, in the uh, chat later on, maybe. So they can reach yeah. out. AU. AU. Yeah, I think I read it in like W. <laughs> so, okay, I'll do it again. <laughs> It's so, always a way when I'm typing as well in a hurry. I, I always uh, mistype as well, so that's no oh, problem. Okay. I think I will not do it now. I will do it later. <laughs> so no, it's okay. And anybody can like reach out to you. Uh, yeah, yeah, if anybody's got LinkedIn. any questions, in fact, yeah. Yeah, 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 then get me on LinkedIn. Just look up Reading Faces or Alan Stevens. I'll find me. But um, what I'll do is I'll go through your chat later on and see any questions. There, I'm always happy to connect with people and share um, some answers on that and wherever I can help. So happy yeah. to do that. Yeah. And thank you everyone for joining uh, from the audience also. They have taken time out to listen to us and for having this like interesting conversation throughout. 
Um, and most importantly, thank you, Alan, for joining us today. And it was a very brilliant discussion. And I'm sure that our audience learned a lot from you today. So thank you so much for joining. And uh, have a great day now. I think it's uh, your great evening for you, <laughs> for us. Like it's yeah. uh, just the beginning of the day. <laughs> so, okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you.